This program is brought to you by PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. To learn more about this podcast, visit pli.edu slash pro bono podcast. There is this viewpoint that if you are discharged from the military with bad papers, that you're a bad person. And that's just not true. And people that sacrificed so much and made minor mistakes or who experienced trauma and their symptoms resulted in misconduct, that doesn't make them a bad person. That doesn't make them undeserving of the benefits that they were promised. I just think it's fundamentally unfair that service members are recruited and enlist with all of these promises, but no one tells them the caveat that you have to be a perfect soldier to get it. If you're like me, you might have assumed that a less than honorable discharge from the military was a rare event, occurring in extreme circumstances and only for very good reasons. But what if I told you that since 1980, over half a million veterans have received a less than honorable or bad paper discharge? That service members with post-traumatic stress disorder have a heightened rate of bad paper discharge, and that vets with bad paper have substantially higher rates of incarceration and substance abuse, and they commit suicide twice as often as their peers with honorable discharges. If you're like me, now you're really worried about vets with bad papers, and you're wondering if there's any way that civilian lawyers might be able to help. Stick with us to learn more about what is happening and what can be done. Welcome to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute, in which lawyers and clients talk candidly about their pro bono experiences. I'm your host, Alicia Aiken, and for 15 years, I was a legal services attorney in Chicago. Now, I'm a principal at Danu Center for Strategic Advocacy, a national organization supporting advocates and mission-based organizations in their own pursuit of social justice. I'm also a faculty fellow at PLI, where I get to work on special projects like this podcast. We sat down with two lawyers, one full-time at Swords to Plowshares in San Francisco, and the other a leader on Swords Pro Bono Advisory Board. They taught us about the realities for U.S. veterans who have a less-than-honorable discharge, how it can happen, and how the impact ripples through an entire lifetime. Hi, my name is Holly Christian. I am a staff attorney and pro bono manager at Swords to Plowshares, which is a veteran service organization. And I run the pro bono program as well as have some of my own cases. Uh, So tell us a little bit about Swords to Plowshares. Swords to Plowshares is a veteran service organization that provides a wide variety of different services to homeless and low-income veterans including employment and training programs, housing, both emergency housing and long-term supportive housing, 
And then, of course, we have our policy branch um, advocating for veterans on a larger scale. We have our legal unit, and we can talk a little bit more about that. But um, Swords to Plowshares was actually founded in the 70s. And one of the things that I love the most about Swords is that it was it was founded in the 70s by Vietnam era veterans. And Swords was kind of created from this this need after the Vietnam War to support our veterans. Hi, my name's Matt Kaplan. I'm a partner at Cooley LLP in our litigation department in San Francisco. My day-to-day practice involves three pretty distinct practice areas. Um, A lot of work I do these days is with our technology-based companies and relates to all sorts of different types of intellectual property, a lot of consumer class actions. I have a pretty robust health insurance practice, and that's just something that's always been part of my practice since day one. That's a pretty wide variety of work for one person. The way I look at it is, you know, the skill and how it all ties together is the advocacy piece. And I I really view my practice as sort of practice area agnostic in that sense. I I can take any, any sort of case, any type of dispute and, you know, figure out a way to get the client to where they want to be. Coming into this conversation, I really knew nothing about the issue of bad paper and the role of lawyers in addressing it. I've never served in the military, and all my relatives were honorably discharged. Actually, as far as I know, all my relatives were honorably discharged. The issue was just never talked about in my house. I wanted to understand what is happening to people and why should we be concerned about it. Holly and Matt highlighted two main categories of veterans that SWORDS believes deserve to have their discharge papers reconsidered. People with trauma and mental health struggles and people caught up by harsh mandatory discharge policies, some of which have now been revoked. Thousands of service members with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, traumatic brain injury, uh, as well as other undiagnosed and untreated medical conditions have been discharged from the military with what we call less than fully honorable discharges. Those are known as bad paper discharges. And as a result of these, quote, bad paper discharges or less than fully honorable discharges, Veterans are often excluded from receiving VA benefits, and they face obstacles in obtaining those VA services. For example, a woman in the military experiences and is a survivor of military sexual trauma. She immediately reports that military sexual trauma. There is a hearing within the military system, and she there's evidence of that. And she is then she then while she's still in the service goes to the medic, goes and receives treatment for for military sexual trauma, for post-traumatic stress disorder, for whatever mental health concerns that she's having due to that. And there's records of that in the evidence. And then, you know, she gets orders that she's about to ship off with her perpetrator. So she's now about to be on the same ship as her perpetrator. And she goes AWOL because obviously she is trying to avoid further assault, further trauma, and also trying to avoid triggers of her mental health condition. So she goes AWOL or something like that, and then she's discharged with an other than honorable or a bad paper in general. So in other words, if you had the misfortune of having, for instance, the manifestation of your PTSD in... um, whatever behaviors that were not considered okay if you had the misfortune of having that happen while you were still in service then you could be 
dishonorably discharged and not have access to any military VA supported services. Even if someone is diagnosed in service with a mental health condition, you know, their misconduct can be a manifestation of that of that mental health condition. So for example, post traumatic stress disorder. A lot of soldiers, a lot of sailors, service members with post traumatic stress disorder will go AWOL, absent without leave. They will leave without permission. And that is avoidance behavior, which is typical for post-traumatic stress disorders. That is a very typical symptom of those who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm making an assumption that the post-traumatic stress disorder is often because of what happened to you in the military. And so I guess my question for you is, doesn't the military know that you suffered trauma? And how come people get bad paper discharges for things that are related to health issues that should have been known? So that is a great instinct. And uh, there's a lot to unpack in that. So there is this this culture within the military. Um, you know, you see it more maybe in Vietnam era veterans or veterans that are not recent era. But there is this culture of don't disclose any mental health issues that can inhibit you from getting promoted or that'll make you a target with other soldiers for bullying or you'll seem weak or something like that. Or this veteran might might be a victim of military sexual trauma and that trauma could come from the person that's supposed to have their back in combat. And so they're 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 afraid and they're they're so inhibited and so discouraged from coming forward and seeking medical treatment as well as seeking, you know, justice because of that that trauma that they incurred. The the other piece that sort of plays into that, there, there are certain situations that essentially require a less than honorable discharge or a discharge under honorable conditions. And so that might have even been something as simple as a one-off incident while they were serving in the military, despite otherwise having a sterling record. But because the reason they're being discharged requires something other than an honorable discharge. Can you give me an example of some of the one bad days things that might cause this to happen to someone? Yeah, sure. So uh, essentially every drug-related offense um, that comes up while while you're serving in the the military would lead to a other-than-honorable discharge. So for example, if you had a veteran who passed every single drug test that was administered to him or her while they were in service, yet while they were on leave, for whatever reason, they ended up getting charged with a a possession crime. that one possession crime would essentially mean that one, that service member had to be discharged from the military and two, it would have to be other than honorable conditions. And as a result of these, quote, bad paper discharges or less than fully honorable discharges, veterans are often excluded from receiving VA benefits and they face obstacles in obtaining those VA services. And VA services can range from healthcare, disability benefits, employment, housing assistance, as well as educational benefits. Does having a bad papers discharge have any impact on you in the regular civilian world? Does it keep you from getting benefits or jobs or things that you might need in in regular life? 
So when you leave the military and you're, you're separated, you get what's called a DD-214 form. And that essentially tells the world, you got to generally show it to your employer when you're, you're applying for a job, if you mentioned the military, all sorts of other things. And it lists you know how long you served and the reason why you're no longer serving. So for most folks, they get an honorable discharge. They fulfilled their, their duties. They're ready to move on. Great. But for other folks, there is a bunch of other reasons that can be included on, on the reason of discharge. The most common are dishonorable. And the reason this matters is because, you know, it raises questions uh, for an employer or someone else who might see this. And you're kind of stuck with this, this stigma and you're stuck with this piece of paper, which is automatically, you know, not, not necessarily, but might bias an employer against hiring you. And I think, too, specifically with veterans, they are proud of their service and they want to be able to do things like go to the VFW, go to these different veterans, you know, bars and and, and social clubs and programs. And even though those programs might not necessarily ask for a DD-214 for proof, but they have this kind of internal like shame or guilt from having bad paper and I know this from, from experience of talking with one of my clients, he was really excited because he wanted to go to participate in a volunteer program for, for veterans. And he felt like he couldn't go to those parades. He felt like he couldn't volunteer, that he couldn't participate in those, those different social groups of veterans because he had such shame and guilt of having bad papers. But it's also a restorative justice issue for a lot of veterans, specifically for veterans that identify as transgender or who were um, kicked out under homophobic policies like don't ask, don't tell within the military. And so, you know, that can be a very beneficial and very impactful thing in their in their daily life to get that reflected and get that that paperwork to reflect the service that they they accomplished. I've heard you mention Vietnam era veterans several times. Mm -hmm. So the Vietnam War ended 45 plus years ago. Are there still Vietnam era veterans out there who are who are still 45 years later waiting to get access to their vets benefits? Absolutely. There are clients that have applied before when they first got out with bad paper. And they were denied. And then, you know, a couple of a couple of decades later, they want to try again at a different board and they want to still pursue that. Honestly, I have a client that's terminally ill and this is kind of his his I don't I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional. Oh, it's okay. Like this is his deathbed wish. Because he doesn't want to die with that. Recently, I found out just how long the shadow of discharge papers can be. My father-in-law, a World War II veteran, just passed away at the age of 94. One of the first questions my husband got asked at the funeral home was, do you have his discharge papers? They said, we need those to give the veterans discount and special honors at his service. If my father-in-law had had a bad paper discharge because of something that happened in 1945 when he was shipped off to invade Okinawa, 
he would have been denied recognition for his service upon his death in 2020. It suddenly made even more sense to me why Holly has dedicated her career to addressing the needs of these veterans. But I also wanted to learn more about how Matt found this particular pro bono niche. From the time I started practicing, I always felt it was important to find a way to give back through pro bono work and gone through a, a variety of different things that I spent time doing early in my career. And after I moved up to San Francisco about, like I said, seven years ago or so, I was looking for a new thing to do. I, uh, and one of the things that crossed my plate at the time was towards the plowshares. And they were hosting clinics. I had a little bit of lull in my, my, my practice. So I was like, so, okay, I'll, I'll sign up for the, the clinic one day. And showed up to to do the work. And it was something even before that, that was on my radar. Uh, Both of my grandparents or grandfathers had fought in World War II. And I sort of understood from them how much being a veteran meant to them and how important it was. And also the bonds that they had with, with other veterans. Just being able to see and sit down at these clinics for an hour with a veteran and the little help you can give them in that hour, how much it means to them was really impactful. So from starting to work at these clinics, I began taking on individual cases for more long-term representation. And you get that, you know, high in in, in sense that you're actually helping someone spread out over time and you develop relationships with these people. And so that was my entree into it. And the next step after I started taking these on is I got Cooley to give me permission to join the pro bono advisory board at Source to Plowshares to help impact sort of how they develop their legal services and, and pro bono programs to benefit veterans. And then also start training other attorneys at Cooley to take on these cases. And so now we've got a group of 10 or 15 attorneys who are VA accredited at Cooley who take these on and just really oversee that that process as well. I love Matt's matter-of-fact explanation of how a lull in his case schedule turned into leading an entire pro bono team at his firm. Obviously, this pro bono opportunity clicked for him. And Swords has given the structure and support pro bono's need to do the work well and feel good about doing it. So let's dive into that world and learn how Swords and Matt and his team of colleagues help veterans with bad papers. Swords uses a pretty common service model, self-help clinics for vets that are staffed by Swords attorneys and pro bonos, where cases can also be screened for long-term representation. I would say screening cases for pro bono placement is kind of the second, like that's that's an added bonus to our clinics. I would say the main goal actually at these clinics is to provide, is to interview the veteran with a trained pro bono attorney, and we give them an interview guide of questions that they, that are important to ask and the information that they need to elicit in order to provide um, information and feedback. And so the process is you know, first they interview the client, get the different facts of the case, and then they provide almost, um, I would equivocate it to pro se advice to how to file your discharge upgrade application on your own. The clinics uh, I staffed were ran through sorts to plowshares, and they've got a a pretty streamlined process where they do some screening before folks come to the clinic. But it's mainly providing guidance either on a VA benefits issue that they they have, whether it's they've already 
applied for certain benefits and they've gotten either a rejection or a request for additional information from the VA or something like that. So helping them navigate that process and say, hey, here's the three or four things you should do next. Or if they haven't even filed uh, an intent to file a claim form or anything like that yet, helping them submit that initial form, which is something you can do if you've just got an hour with someone. And generally just sort of answering questions and guiding them through the, the process. Um, but when you walked into the clinic, like you weren't VA certified and um, you have a lot of uh, competencies and expertise, <laughs> but I'm guessing this wasn't one of them. So how did Swords to Plowshare support you to be able to answer the questions? Because I think that's the fear a lot of attorneys have with doing clinics is just because I'm a lawyer doesn't mean I know how to answer the questions people will bring in. Yeah. So I think that there's three things um, that really help give me and any other attorney who's going to walk into one of the, these clinics the tools they need to be able to address these questions. One is before the clinic, there's about an hour long training. That's, I think they actually have it up on YouTube now. So anyone could just watch this and it's the basic nuts and bolts of it. Two, you'll get some written materials related to that. So that's part of the training. So you'll have those as reference points. And then three, you've got the day of before the clinic starts, uh, just a quick in-person refresher, sample forms, that sort of thing. And you've always got a, a more experienced attorney there from SWORDS or, or otherwise who handles these types of issues on a regular basis if it gets to the level where you're not comfortable giving advice or answering questions. So you've got that great resource there in the room with you who can step in and help out if you need it. But of course, you're probably already asking, what if the case is more complicated than a vet can handle alone? Especially if the vet got bad papers because they have active mental health issues, but because of the bad papers, they can't get access to treatment for those issues? What can SWORDS and pro bono lawyers do for those people? So people come to you and they have bad paper discharges, and maybe they already know that the incident was related to mental health. Like, what are you able to do as lawyers to fix it? On an individual's level, we're able to apply for a military records correction, apply for that discharge upgrade so that retroactively their military records are changed. It's been sort of the, the big challenge that myself and a lot of other attorneys in my shoes have been facing the last few years. It's sort of trying to get the military review boards to change someone's character for discharge based on these factors. You know, if we could point to something that happened in service that led to the reason they were discharged, that, that should do it. And if that doesn't work, you still have a second option, which is going directly to the VA and saying, hey, I know I, I didn't have an honorable discharge, but you should reevaluate what's called the character of my discharge and sort of assess from a perspective of equity, should I be able to be entitled to the, these benefits, even if I'm not going to get the official change from under honorable or, or dishonorable. So there's two avenues you can go about to try to get additional VA benefits um, if you don't have an honorable discharge. So we're going through this whole process now with character of discharge upgrades and trying to get um, the different review boards to actually change people's status of discharge to reflect the fact that there was 
a mental health condition or some other underlying thing that happened while they were in service that led to the reason why they were discharged. When you're making the case for a discharge upgrade or a records correction, is it more about equity and justice in the story than it is about proving a mistake of law? So you just pointed out the two two of the main areas that you can ask for military records correction, which is an error or like a legal error. So they did not follow the Department of Defense instructions on a discharge. So a lot of things like the don't ask, don't tell policies uh, that have now since changed. That's something that would maybe fall under that category. Now, the injustice or the equity argument, that is kind of the fundamental fairness argument that you would apply to the board's specifically about veterans who are applying who um, had some kind of either a military sexual trauma or a mental health condition within their claim. And, and, and you know, some of the memos provide that veterans should receive liberal, what's called liberal consideration if they were diagnosed in service or that if you can prove that, you know, there's a multi-pronged test, but essentially if you can prove that that a veteran experienced a mental health condition in service and that that mental health condition outweighs and was a reason for the misconduct, then your chances of proving that inequity or injustice argument are much stronger than just saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right. I would say that veterans with a mental health diagnosis in service or after service have a stronger fact pattern to argue to the board based on that injustice about specifically about veterans who are applying who had some kind of either a military sexual trauma or a mental health condition within their claim. And, you know, some of the memos provide that veterans should receive liberal, what's called liberal consideration if they were diagnosed in service or that if you can prove that, you know, there's a multi-pronged test, but essentially if you can prove that a veteran experienced a mental health condition in service and that that mental health condition outweighs and was a reason for the misconduct, then your chances of proving that inequity or injustice argument are much stronger than just saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right. So um, I would say that veterans with a mental health diagnosis in service or after service have a stronger fact pattern to argue to the board based on that injustice standard. It's very hard to prove. It's hard to get relief in these cases, to be honest. Okay, so... um... How hard is it to do these cases? How much work is involved? So it really depends case by case. And even now we're still working with Vietnam era veterans to get them certain benefits. Those cases tend to be harder because you're trying to track down records from 1970s to 1980s in terms of military service, healthcare, if they were getting treatment for anything after they separated from the military or even from VA facilities. And building up that record can be hard. You know you know where to go to get the records, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to, to get them. So the biggest you know piece of the you know what consumes time when you're working on these cases is getting the evidence and documents you need and, and building the record that way. Uh, once you've, you've done that, and again, that's easier with more mod- modern cases, you know, these days you, you'll essentially just get a, a disc from the, the VA that has all, all the available records after you ask for them. It's not always the case for, for the older records. You know, you spend time with the, the veteran learning 
their story, if there's other important people you're going to interview, because either they were a witness to something that happened in service, or they understand the impact of something that happened in service on, on the veteran after they left, or they're going to vouch for the, the veteran. You'll, you'll spend some time interviewing them, getting to know them, helping them write supporting statements, uh, and then putting together the brief, you know, you're depending on the circumstances, it's going to end up being, you know, five or 10 pages. And so it's not the biggest chunk of time, but it, it does take some time. Matt's describing the active work of a pro bono attorney on an assigned case. But I've learned that every successful pro bono program builds in important supports for those pro bonos, supports that they sometimes never even see. I asked Holly what she does behind the scenes to make pro bono placements a positive experience for the lawyer and the client. Essentially, once we screen a case for merit through having an interview with the veteran and looking through, requesting and looking through their records, their military records and their medical records, we kind of screen it for merit. Does this case have merit? And then we also make sure it's a good fit for pro bono representation because we want to make sure that our pro bonos are able to keep in constant contact with the veteran that they're serving, with their pro bono client. And so that case can gain momentum and cross the finish line. Um, And so making sure that the veteran client is appropriate to place with pro bono and that they have access to to be able to communicate with a pro bono attorney. And then we will reach out to a firm or uh, or a pro bono coordinator at a firm or someone who has raised their hand in the past. And then once that's placed, we send them over the records that we had requested and looked through, as well as what we call a case transfer memo. And that memo is kind of their Bible and their guidance and their their resource to look back to. Um, And that case transfer memo contains links to specific substantive training, as well as cultural humility training in working with this population. And so once they've completed the training, I serve as kind of a mentor if they want to ask questions, if they want to talk strategy, if they want to send me drafts of their briefs, I'm happy to redline those. And so I kind of serve as that consistent point of contact since this is this is my bread and butter. This is the work that I do every day. And so I'm available to serve as a mentor to provide support on cases like that. Holly emphasized how hard it is to win relief in these cases. That example Holly gave at the beginning of a sailor who went AWOL after being assigned to ship out with the person who sexually assaulted her. Holly has a similar fact pattern on appeal right now, where discharge upgrade was denied. To me, That one seemed like a pretty obvious injustice. It seems like it should have been an easy win. So that left me really wanting to hear about cases where the veterans did win. So there were a few attorneys from Sidley, Austin. There were a few pro bono attorneys that actually just recently wrapped up a case. And the veteran had initially come to Swords to Plowshares in 2014. So very longstanding case. But through their ongoing pro bono representation, these attorneys were able to assist a homeless recent era army veteran with not only a discharge upgrade, but VA service connection and to get him VA disability compensation. And actually both the discharge upgrade case and the service connection disability compensation case were hinged on this veteran who had experienced post-traumatic stress disorder that stemmed from a military sexual trauma. So the, the VA conceded, not only do we acknowledge that you incurred a trauma in service 
that it resulted in post-traumatic stress disorder that still affects you today, but that you deserve compensation for that in the amount of $58,000 in back pay, as well as about $1,400 each month from now on. So not only did this, the, these attorneys get this amazing win in that aspect, but they were also able to correct his military records and changed his bad paper other than honorable discharge to good paper, which is a general discharge. So the benefits of that representation was access to healthcare, monetary compensation, as well as restorative justice. And so that was a great case to hear from and it was all pro bono work. And if it wasn't for our pro bono volunteers, that veteran might not have received service and received such a good outcome. One of the first veteran clients I, I worked with, I had met him initially at a clinic and then ended up taking on the, the representation to apply for a series of VA benefits. Uh, and this was a Vietnam era veteran that I started working with in about 2014 or so. And going through that process with, with him and sort of having him open up to someone for uh, about a lot of these issues for the first time and getting to the point where he was comfortable doing that was really meaningful and being able to then sort of say hey here's what happened to you here's how we're going to take that information and tell the VA your story to be able to explain to them why you're entitled to, to benefits based on things that happened to you while you were in service even though it's 40 years later now and going through that process with them was just even putting the brief together it's so cathartic to just have someone else take on their mantle tell their story in a way that that's forceful and, and meaningful to them in a way that they could sign off on and then you, you get that all together you've got that moment signs the paperwork and then you submit it and you sort of put it out of your mind for for, for a while because you just don't know when you're going to hear back from the VA and you wait six months, eight months, a year plus, and then you get the thrill in this case of the, the letter coming back to the VA saying, hey, not only are we awarding you these benefits going forward, but we had made a mistake along the way and here's a check for back pay going back years. And to be able to just sort of not just tell the client that, hey, you know, we were successful, you know, the VA believes your story now we put it away that they understand how you were harmed while you were in service and how that's impacted your life since then and to be able to have this sort of this tangible physical manifestation of it of the VA actually sending a check that I got to hand to him and you know you, you can tell it was probably the most impactful thing that that's happened to him in years because that not only provided validation for their their story but you know, a tangible benefit of an amount of money that he had probably never seen in his life, and was going to, in his you know few remaining years at that point, really create a, a quality of, of life for him that would matter every day. And so you, you don't really see that with our, our, our paying clients every day. Just sort of that emotional. It's one the emotional impact, and two the actual tangible impact on these people's lives and you know there's very few things we do every day that are that you know touching or impactful to someone Matt is obviously really persuasive when he talks about this work 
so persuasive that he has brought about a dozen other lawyers at his firm on board for pro bono work with swords. It sounds like you did a fair amount of the recruitment of other uh, attorneys in your firm to participate in that, in this project. Is that right? Yeah. So that was a big part of it. After I, I started working the, these clinics, I reached out to our firm's pro bono coordinator and said, hey, I'd like to see if I can make this a, a bigger thing here. Can we have Cooley attorneys staff these clinics, one? And then two, after that, you know, if folks are interested, I'm happy to sort of supervise and be a champion and, you know, get folks signed up and supervise them while they're working with these individual cases. And, you know, after someone does one of these are really up and running. I, you know, do very little <laughs> at this point. I answer a few questions here and there. Um, but I mean, it sort of demonstrates, you know, the ease with, with which you could sort of pick up these these issues. And it's not just for, for lit- litigators. We've got corporate attorneys, all sorts of different types of attorneys who take these on. They, they want to help veterans for a variety of reasons. And although, you know, you've got adversarial process, it's not traditional litigation. It's something anyone really has you know, the, the passion or desire to help someone can do. And what kind of support do other professionals at, at Cooley offer, like paralegals, investigators, things like that? So especially when we're putting together, you know, briefs and evidence submissions and that sort of thing, you know, if we have paralegals help, they compile evidence for these briefs, just like they would for any other, other case. So there's opportunities for anyone who's really interested in, in helping veterans to work on on these cases. We've re- recently launched a, a veterans affinity group at, at Cooley, which is mostly, you know, for veterans and, and their allies. And, you know, we've also brought myself and the, the pro bono work into that and making sure that this group of veterans and veteran affiliated people at Cooley know we're, we're doing this and know that they have opportunities to help us if they'd like. The, the one thing that I always tell people when they're asking how much work is this, how long does it take, is that almost all of the deadlines you're dealing with with the, the VA when you're going through these processes are about a year out. So <laughs> it provides a lot of flexibility in terms of when you're going to fit in this work with your, your regular practice because um, you're not going to be stuck with a tight turnaround or, or a tight deadline. You, you could take these on. You obviously want to move the process forward as, as quickly as, as you can for your, your client. But there are ways you can ensure that if you're applying for VA benefits, it's retroactive to a, a year from when you initially asked for them. And that gives you about a year runway to compile the evidence and submit um, your brief and other supporting evidence. So in recruiting other folks to do this, what's the most, what's the most effective recruitment tool? What do you say to get them on board? It's something that's really easy to fit in with the the rest of your practice because, you know, you're going to spend over the course of a year, maybe 40 to 60 hours on this, but you've got a lot of time to figure out how you fit that in to the rest of your work and the rest of your your life. You aren't going to be stuck doing 40 hours of work in a week or, or a month. You can figure out how to spread that out over the better part of a year to ensure, one, that it, it fits in with everything else you're doing, and, and two, on, on a time frame and schedule that works for your, your client. So it's really flexible in that sense, which is helpful to sort of fill in the ebbs and flows of everything else you've got going on. 
And then two is just the, the personal aspect of it. You, you really make an impact on these people's lives and they're just so appreciative for the work. So if you enjoy that and enjoy helping people in that sense, you know, I, you meet a whole bunch of people who are really grateful for the help. So I'm sure at least a few of you are still hesitant about whether you'd take on this work, precisely because it is compelling and important and you wouldn't want to mess it up. We've done episodes highlighting the opportunities to do pro bono that is just like your regular practice area. But I think it's unlikely that bad paper discharge upgrades are just like anyone's private practice right now. So for people who are maybe having pause because they're thinking, I don't know anything about the military. I don't know how to do, I don't know military law. Um, I'm not sure I'm a good fit for this because I don't think I know what I'm doing. What would you say to them? I would say that there is available training. There is a wealth of information out there so that you can get up to speed on this area of law and that you don't have to have a military background. You don't have to have experience in this area. I think what we're looking for, what's necessary to do this work is empathy and diligence. And that's the two foundations of providing good work product and, and, and help to these veterans is being diligent and being empathetic. Those are the most important things. We can train you on the law. You can't train people to be empathetic. <laughs> you can try. Um, you can try to give them the, the skills and the tools, but um, also that, you know, these arguments that you're making, especially in the discharge review board and military board for corrections or the Board for Corrections of Military Records, the arguments that you're making are really equity and justice arguments, which are common across different areas of law, and it's federal administrative law. So, you know, you can do this, and as long as you've got a good heart and a good work ethic, I think that you're able to do it and do it well. I've got two more closing arguments to persuade you to look for a veterans pro bono program near you and get involved. Number one, It's pretty easy for a licensed attorney to get VA certified. Fill out a form that includes references for the VA, get your accreditation number, and complete three hours of CLE specifically about veterans. Number two, wherever you are located, you can get your veteran CLE training from Swords to Plowshares, and you get that online at PLI. Just search keyword veterans on the PLI website to find the most recent training programs. And then you can help veterans who have been overpromised and underserved for far too long. Thanks for listening to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. This production is dedicated to the pro bono and public interest lawyers working to improve access to justice. A special thanks goes to our producer, Daniel Pinitz, as well as our host, Alicia Aiken. Please note that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast represent those of the individuals being interviewed and not necessarily those of PLI. PLI is a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys and other professionals at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. For more information about PLI's wide-ranging curriculum of pro bono programs, visit pli.edu slash pro bono.